0: Welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, I'm very excited to have, as my guest, Orlando Wood. Uh, Orlando is the Chief Innovation Officer of System 1. Uh, some of you listeners may remember System 1 as brain juicer um, that is it. System 1 is I, I think it's about a year is it a year or two more it's longer two, year, two, years, two actually, years maybe of system three one. Uh, yeah guess. maybe time flies um, as System 1 um, you know the the planner's friend in the world of uh, of, <laughs> of of communication evaluation um, and Orlando is going to be talking quite a bit about the work he's done, um, which went in the bu- into the book published by the IPA called Lemon, which in a nutshell, um, and I'm really not going to do justice, that's why we're doing the podcast, um, of explaining it, um, looks at the world of left brain and right brain um, and, um, in, as it applies to advertising. Um, and other things. I mean, the book is the book is a, a journey into the worlds of left brain and right brain, but also a commentary about and an analysis, a deep analysis. And I would say de- deep data analysis as well uh, into the changing uh, landscape around television advertising and how left brain advertising in more recent years has become the more prominent mode. Um, All that did I do justice in a. Brief- Thank you, Ed.
1: Yeah, no. Well, it looked terrific to be on, and um, y- yes, uh, you, you you summarized it very nicely. I mean, what what uh, you know Lemon is about is about a change in advertising style that's happened over the last fifteen years, and its implications for effectiveness. Um, the style we see today is much less effective than um, it, it used to be and I try to explain why this has happened the time frame over which it's happened um, and explain how we might put it right again uh, in, at least give some ideas to, to help in that direction
0: so just just sort of press the rewind button a little um, could you tell us a little bit of your career journey how uh, how you ended up as the chief innovation officer at, um, at system one and what your sort of trajectory was?
1: Yes, of course. Well, I might go back before. Uh, actually, you know, I was, uh, people often ask, you know, what, what, what did you study? And I, mm-hmm. I, at university, I studied, um, I studied French and German and, and 17th century French literature. And you may think this is a long way from 17th century French literature. But actually what I did, I realized recently was was really a precursor to lemon in many ways, because my Masters uh, was in looking at changes in in style in in you know in poetry and in writing and in, in drama uh, recorded recorded, you know, over a period of about 50 years by a, a scurrilous diarist. And, um, you know, he collected poems and things from the period, and you could trace these changes in style over that over that period. And that's exactly really what I've been doing in Lemon, it, it, it occurred to me. Um, so uh, more relevant than I could possibly have thought at the time. To my future career but i got into market research um uh, i was interested in marketing um the sort of psychology of marketing and my early early research days were really about forecasting new product sales um and then i uh, joined brain juicer and got interested in emotion and how we might measure emotion and the importance of of, you know the connection that you make um the in your minds you know and how emotion um relates to that in in relation to advertising and and that's um I got got involved with the IPA some years ago working with Peter Field and the um the effectiveness database uh, some of which I talk about in the book actually, in those early experiments trying to map emotional response onto onto effectiveness data and so um i i, I you know head up the kind of labs division if you like the r and d division and and essentially do research on advertising today and that's um, that's brought me very close to the ipa and and uh, and therefore lemon
0: so um, that's great. so how many years have you been at system one? or juice 15 wow 15 it is yes wow. yes that's,
1: a, that's, yes. Uh, that's,
0: a, that's it, it a is a long tenure. long time well i mean yeah. i was um, i was at my uh my agency um for 20 years and I, it, I, it seems quite remarkable Gosh. I, I
1: took to somebody, uh, that's, talked that, to that somebody. Is, uh, that's gold gold watch territory
0: it is uh, and it's quite surprising I've, this is the the second conversation i've had in 48 hours where somebody has said they've uh, worked for, at a place longer than 10 or 15 years, um, <laughs> which is really unusual, isn't it, in, these, in this mm. day and
1: age. Well, it is, and that's part of the problem, I think, uh, yeah. you know, that, um, you know, it, it takes time to, to, to establish and, and work out, you know, ways of working and, uh, and to do your best work. And, and you know, shorter, shorter and shorter tenures, certainly in marketing, uh, seem to be part of the problem um, today.
0: So what was what was the genesis? When when did the, the what what was the inspiration? The spark that that took you on the journey to London? Mm.
1: Well, it was it was it was uh, it was a lot of things actually, and it wasn't just one thing. I mean, it was I'd been doing some work with the IPA, you know, the year before and the year before that, looking at the importance of characters in advertising, and I used the IPA's database to show. Um, both that that characters uh you know in camp, camp campaigns that had characters were more likely to be effective uh you know broad and, and long uh effects and reductions in price sensitivity as well um but that they were disappearing and like you know sort of you know going back to 1992 you know for about 40 percent of all of uh their uh, the, the long-term campaigns that, that the ipa had data for included a character of some kind mm-hmm. uh, and that had dropped to 12% by 2016 and you know I, I just couldn't really think of a plausible explanation f- for this um, and I mean at the same time you know all the while I've been feeling you know sort of in culturally you know that society's become extremely brittle uh, and polarised and, and rigid you know in, in, in the last 10-15 years and then uh, I came across the work of, of Ian McGilchrist and Ian McGilchrist written this brilliant book called The Master and His Emissaries. it's a very long book but it is remarkable and You know, it feels when I was reading it, uh, it was as if the scales just were falling from my eyes. You know, it was like it was literally you turn a page and you learn something else that sort of helps to explain things about the world that have always puzzled you. You know, Mm -hmm. people's um, preferences, uh, the way that people think about things, um, the way that, uh, you know, I mean, changes in society and culture over many years, hundreds of years. Um, and and what's happening? I think today, because many of the features of today's world and the way that it's changed in recent years uh, seem to be described by his work. And uh, he was—I mean, what Ian was he writing? himself
0: was. What, what, what was his what was book published?
1: Well, it was published first um, about ten years ago, but it's been reissued, republished, uh, reprinted, uh, a new edition um, just this last year. And what I mean, Ian is a psychiatrist, and well, a, a, a neuropsychologist, really. And uh, he started, but he started out as an English don at Oxford University, yes. and he, he was increasingly frustrated with the way that people analysed and over-analysed literature and abstracted it from its context. And didn't pay any attention or heed to the way that, that the sort of physiological response that it has on you. And this got him interested in, you know, well, how do people attend to things? How do people respond to to great works of, of literature and art? And he took up uh, medicine. His father was a doctor. He took up medicine and um, worked at the Maudsley Hospital and started to uh, understand a little bit about the brain and devoted his life, in fact, to to understanding the brain and the two different hemispheres and how they attend to the world. And his... um, you know his his book is is remarkable because it explains that the two halves of the brain are not just structurally different you know they they, they literally have one of them the right brain has more white matter more myelin which means it conducts better, but it's got greater branching, you know, in, as well. So it's more associative in its network, um, and it's more it's more open to. I mean, it, it responds differently to hormones and to um, also to uh, to drugs than the the left brain because of the greater proportion of white matter. But so structurally, these things are different. But but and this sort of gives a clue as perhaps as to why uh, you know as to what they. Not what so much what they do, but to what how they attend to the world. You know, since the '60s, we, there's been a popular narrative that that one brain, one half of the brain, does one thing, and the other does the other. Um, that he's cleverly reframed the question, and says it's not that they do different things; it's they do things differently, have mm-hmm. different takes on the mm-hmm. world, different priorities. Yeah. And so, so the left brain is is you know extremely. Uh, narrow in its focus, um, and goal orientated and rather literal and I can't bear ambiguity or the indistinct and it thinks in very linear cause and effect terms and it you know, does things and likes tools and creates tools with which it can manipulate the world. One of these is language. Signs and symbols are also largely things of the left brain. And it has no really, real appreciation of, of lived time or, or music, um, which come from the right brain. The right brain is broad and vigilant in its attention. So, I mean, anyone who's interested in advertising must be interested in attention. And the right brain uh, is, is, is open to, you know, what's going on around it. Um, and, uh, you know, if the left brain is looking for, for grains of food on the on the ground, and abstracting them as, as it does in birds and, and, of course, you know, mammals too, the right brain is broad and vigilant and making sure it doesn't become someone else's lunch. Yeah. And so the, the right brain can also understand and appreciate contradictions mm-hmm. so that two Different things, opposing you know, thoughts could could actually both be true at the same time, which means it understands metaphor. Which means it understands and appreciates humour. Um, it, it, which the left brain likes things and tools, the right brain. Uh, likes the living and understands the living and the implicit and, and expressions and gestures and intonation and accents you know, all the things that wrap around the words if you like and it also get, as i said gives us our sense of live time depth perspective um uh, all of those things and music because music is sort of harmony is the oral equivalent of, of visual depth so, so so these two things do different conscious centers of consciousness um uh, and we have you know slight preferences perhaps for each of us um for these and um uh, but we see at certain times in history kind of drift uh, towards this left brain dominance and, and you're seeing it in advertising today what
0: are the what are the what are the causes of did you understand what the causes of the drift are what happens mm. to cause a drift or yes you're right
1: Well, I mean, if we just sort sort of explain physiologically why this might happen, first of all, and then I can give you some sort of thoughts as to why it's happened. I mean, physiologically, the the two halves of the brain are joined by this thing in the middle called the corpus callosum, which is sort of a bundle of fibres that bridges the two brains. But what what we're increasingly understanding is that the left its main Purpose, if you like, is for one brain to inhibit the other at any given right. time, exactly and the left control. brain. Yeah, the left, the left brain has a greater inhibitory effect on the right than the right on the left, and so at certain times in history, you know, um, in individuals, you get this kind of left brain overreach, if you like. And, uh, and 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 in society starts to become very brittle very angry um it, it polarizes because it can only see things in black and white terms you know this is either true or it's a lie um there's no you know there's no appreciation for for, for proportion or perspective or you know that, that mm-hmm. exactly that, yeah. that in fact the truth is probably somewhere in the middle between these opposing mm-hmm. views um you know you're you're one thing or another um, and society becomes very rhythmic. you know you see visual repetition in art you see it in we see it in advertising today replication you know this is the thing of the left brain so um, so what, you know what are the what are the reasons for this Well uh, you know I mean often this uh, strikes me that the, these swings towards left brain dominance and intolerance uh, in society usually come. Uh, you know, when we've invented a new tool, you know, I talk about the Gutenberg Press um, in the book uh, and how, you know, some years uh, afterwards we, we get the, the Reformation, which shares many of the hallmarks, you know, with today, actually, which perhaps we can talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. But we've invented, of course, a new tool in in digital communications and um, that and, uh, also, and to get wrapping our heads around it, how do we, how do we use this tool and, and the way we use this tool, but also um, the globalization, you know, it's enabled globalization and, and also the global ad in this period, which, you know, is, 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 is sort of is supposed to work everywhere, but probably doesn't work anywhere terribly well. It means that you have to strip out some of the features that I talk about in the book. Um, lots of lots of sort of things that that point to this guidelines from online platforms on how to do advertising. All of this stuff. We're probably getting ahead of ourselves, but all of this stuff um, helps to explain. You know, it's not one cause, but it's many different things that have together created this sort of perfect storm. Do you think? Um,
0: do you think? There's, do you think? You, do you think you could sort of? Um. I mean if, if you characterize in a very simplistic way the fifties, sixties, seventies and eighties. So you got forty years of massive economic growth, cultural growth, cultural revolution, um, and an opening. An op- you know, you would say an opening, an opening of marketplaces, yes. an opening of yes. consumer marketplaces, an opening of the mind and to new experiences, yes. psychedelic drugs, the pill, blah blah blah, <laughs> yes. um, and uh, an advertising industry that grew up in that in the. I mean, obviously, it predates that by by you know another fifty years, but really grew up with the advent of commercial television. Yes, in the, exactly in the fifties, yeah. which which paralleled a sort of a boom time. And, yes, and and I wonder if you know. I mean. Account planning was founded in the, in the mid late 60s as a, res, as a response to the Cultural Revolution. I mean, yes. to basically saying, look, what we think is going on in the world isn't going on in the world. We better go and f- have, find these people who can go out and tell us what the hell's going on outside the Ivory Tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and that, I mean, that action, if you look at the, the world of. John Webster and both massimi Pollitt and yes. Stanley Pollitt and planning and characters talk about characters john
1: John Webster well, John 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 you know exactly that it it wasn't with John, you know does a campaign have legs, but um, does it have four of them, and are they furry, as the <laughs> old saying goes yeah
0: no and so and and so I, I I just wonder if you know back to your point of polarization anger um, and, and you go back to. People feeling threatened, like, you know, from a political perspective, you know, whether it's Brexit or Trump, there's a a class of voter out there who feels like the world is against them Uh, Uh and they're going to use their vote as a, as a, as a, as a means of protest against Uh that situation. And from a business perspective, you could say individuals inside of businesses Businesses themselves. A lot of the reasons for that are the internet, global competition. Are much more risk averse, I would say, than they had been in times of when it's yes. anemic. When it's anemic growth, but when you're looking at something, when you're going from sort of a five percent, six percent, and maybe that's an interesting exercise to sort of see. You know, I don't have this is another another layer of lemon. Some uh, title for the new book. Um, <laughs> Uh, which Which is you know do you do you plot economic growth against left brain right brainness, and does uh. that, does that does that reveal anything uh, I- interesting because I just I sort of feel you know conditions i mean cultural conditions, political conditions um, obviously dictate what we see in the world of advertising um, yes, but more than anything business conditions. And yeah. the world of cost control and cutting agency fees and low production costs and all these yes. other things are part of the new vernacular. Yeah. Um,
1: which is absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's you know, and uh, I mean, this predates the, pre, the the shift predates the downturn by a couple of years, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so because like you know, Often it's a, you know attributed you know this sort of fall in advertising effectiveness that's been charted by the IPA is is you know attributed to the, the sort of um, the, the shift in budgets towards more activation type advertising in the wake of the downturn. So this was already sort of happening before then, which mm. I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, and then you know it's 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 uh, the, the the kind of uh, s- switch, you know, the s- swing towards the left brain that you've seen. Uh, is is very much to do with risk aversion. I mean, the left brain is paranoid um, because it cannot see the world as it really is, and relies on the right brain to to feed it information that it that, you know that, that, that it needs. Mm. And you see it in the artwork. I, mean, I pointed out in one of the pieces of art from the French Revolution um, that you see this sort of all seeing eye watching over you. You see this in in schizophrenic patients who have a psychotic episode. You know, you ask them to to draw or paint what they're seeing and they often draw a single eye watching over them you know and you sort of hear today the the, the eyes of history are upon us quite a lot you know there's a sense of paranoia um fear uh, anger um in the air i think um uh, and um certainly you know as i was writing the book i was very conscious of that and, it, and it's 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 um it, you know it's largely to do with the left the left brain the way i see it um anger lateralizes to the left uh left hemisphere um and you know we're sort of not really seeing the world as it really is and, and the left brain tends to get trapped as well in it's it's a hole of mirrors um because it relies on the right brain um and uh you know you sort of end up disconnecting a little bit from the wider world so back to your point about planning you know um planners uh planners planners and but and creatives is their their role is to be connected to the wider world and i talk about this a bit in lennon that you know that that planners and and creatives um sort of moral foundations are very different, their values are very different uh, from people in the mainstream and it's ref- certainly reflected in the work you get today and you know the things that are awarded Grand Prix you know uh, sort of creative awards tend to i see this again and again test very poorly you know have a very poor uh connection with the with the audience um the the general public and you know the the sorts of work that are ridiculed in you know Things like campaigns, Turkey of the week—you know—we find tests very well amongst the general public. So there's a sort of there's a there's a disconnect between what the industry thinks and its sort of hall of mirrors. And it's, you know, uh, caught up in its own digital algorithms and, and mirroring itself. Um, and, you know, there's less connection, I think, today with the general public than there used to be. We've, we've become, we sort of grown apart. And that, that's, you know, perhaps one of the things I'd like to do next is to, is to try and explain that and, and, and show it.
0: So you, there's an interesting, it reminds me of something I heard of a couple of years ago. Getty Images went and Mm -hmm. did a study where they talked to art directors about the images they liked and then they went to the general public and did the same and there was just sort of a huge gulf between the visual appeal of of things by the people who were were doing this stuff daily and their needs versus the average Mm. grocery shopper who was was sort of divergent Yes. Um, and, 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 and I think, you know, there's an, under, there's, there's an undercurrent there as well about being real. And all, all the data around who do you trust? Well, I don't trust business anymore. I trust my mates. just trust the people I'm in the mm. online community with. People I know. I, I don't trust experts. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. a sort of this, this.
1: But I think it's true of experts too by yep. the way yeah so you know in the ad industry we trust our our, our friends and, and people we know yeah. um and we're less interested in the views of people outside it so you know it, it's 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 and it's as much that as anything you know because we're the ones making the work <laughs> so um you know it's it, it's it works both ways i think yeah no that's, and and so, that's, great. that's a great so great so 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 you know so um it, it's it, it's it, I mean I talk about this in the book i mean it's, I think it 's fascinating. Um, and I quote some work by uh, Andrew Tenzer and Ian Murray, and they profile people working in media uh, agencies they also profile people working in ad agencies for a slightly different uh, test, but they they do this test on in, with media agency people um, and they say uh, you know what what I can give you three things uh, monkey uh panda and a banana what goes with the monkey now people in media agencies are more inclined to say well think of this as a sort of left brain categorization task so they say oh well the panda you know it's another mammal uh that goes with the monkey you ask the general public and they say the banana of course uh the banana goes with the monkey." so that, that, that people you know in the in in the real world if you like in the mainstream are thinking more associatively than people working in uh, in advertising is mm. a concern to me mm. um, you know that it's that we've become very analytical in the way that we think about things very focused um, and we're not attending to the world in ways that are necessary to create the work that is that is going to connect with people
0: so the sort of there's, there's nothing. What nothing's right, kind of right now. It, it's not. A, it's, it's not. It's not. It's not a question of. You, you know, you could look back at. You know, you look at Lemon, and, and you could see it as a sort of a rose tinted glass view back through nostalgia. Of, yes,
1: someone described it as a love letter to advertising, which I quite liked. But um, but yes, you, you could.
0: You, you know what I mean. And and the reality no. is, no one's turning the clock back to, to 1975 and CDP. No. Um, so we're sort of stuck in this sort of on pass, I guess, you know, the, the, the the short term, I think, I mean, I think Peter Field hasn't really been heard well enough on this particular topic about the industry self congratulating itself to death by awarding itself awards for short term efforts that do nothing. Yes, for the brand or the business. And they, and, and, yes, that's right. And and I feel that that's just falling on deaf ears because I feel that you have an industry that's desperate for attention um, mm. in, a, in a very challenging time and wants to get awards, wants to be, wants to have something to show someone to show them that their their work is meaningful. Yes, uh, and they they want accreditation, and you know, uh, one of the things about creativity is, what well, is it, it's nothing unless it has social currency.
1: Yes. Um, well, we we've we've entrusted a great deal of responsibility in the judgment of creative yeah. awards judges, yeah. and uh, too much, in fact, and that is you know, one of the, and of course, that's, if that's held, they're held up as examples of things that are, you know, going to get you an award, then that's what people will seek to uh, imitate, mimic, copy or or improve upon or become even more extreme in. And so you end up with things that, that just become more and more divorced from, from the mainstream, the audiences that, that, you know, we need to, to move and, and connect with.
0: Yeah. So, so you've got, you've got the advertising industry, the beacons or the award shows aren't doing anything to, to, to really move people. Um, and then you've got the, the left brain mindset inside the client increasingly yeah. conservative, um, increasingly driven by spurious metrics. Um, yeah. and, and in the process, it seems to me that... Um, you, we, we've lost this understanding of brand and brand value and brand contribution to the business it's somehow been forgotten about
1: it has and, that, and that's i think because the you know as i was describing earlier it's funny isn't it that, that the left brain likes to see direct cause and effect yep. and uh you know it you talk about i you know, attribution modeling is this um, you know, an assumption that that one that one particular thing leads to one other particular thing, um, and so it's much less uh, easy. You know, I mean, it's quite difficult to show the effects of long term brand building work. Although I do try to uh, show how that can be done in chapter one of the book. You know, by incorporating an you know emotional response and extra share of voice together. You know, can give you a very good sense of um, your your long term. Marketing share, prospects upward or downward. Um, so I think there are uh, longer term measures available for people, but you know we're, we're stuck in not. I mean, not just in the short term, but in the sort of micro short term. You know, I mean, really um, short term, and the type of work that might result in those clicks or, or whatever it is um, is not the sort of work that will build a brand, and it looks and feels very different. Um, But but this is crazy because, you know, as I describe in the book, you know, the thing that attracts the right brain's attention, which is after all responsible for the Know, the sort of four or five four out of the five types of attention psychologists broadly agree on including you know um, vigilance and sustained attention. The right brain is interested in in people in the living in things in creatures in animals in monsters you know in um, the mm-hmm. things that connect with each other yeah. have a sense of betweenness uh, it's also open to things that are out of the ordinary so things that are a bit extraordinary. And, you know, if I'm describing brand-building advertising then in, in that description, then it's because that's what brand-building advertising does. It, it connects with uh, people, attracts their attention, sustains their attention. So, you know, it, although principally, the, I mean, the book does touch upon the online world. Um, uh, its main focus is on TV advertising. But it also it describes how, you know, if this is important, in TV advertising, it is imperative online if you're going to build your brand, because you have to create the sort of uh, you know the, the work that that will attract and sustain attention in those online environments. It's, the ad won't play out by itself necessarily to its end, as it will in TV. So you've got to do you've got to work even harder.
0: Um, well, I mean, it, it, it's 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 a fascinating question because you're sort of, you, say you are a brand owner and you do believe in brands and you do believe your brand has value. Say for Coca-Cola, for example, you know. Yeah. You know, it, it's, all, it's all about the brand. Um, where do you go these days? Because your channels, your, your, the channels to communicate, what 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 to me is fascinating is the dichotomy between the power of audiovisual slash television, uh, or the gap or the gulf between the power of television and a lot of digital. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh.
0: It, it, it seems that you're you're dealing with, you're, you're dealing with the difference between um, a comic book and a $300 million budget movie in terms of emotional <laughs> Pardon, power.
1: In, 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 in many ways, you're right, yes, yeah. yes.
0: So suddenly these, these, these corridors and doorways are narrowing off. The people that you need to reach aren't reachable by those medium, media. And at the other side, the, the, the most powerful businesses on the planet, period, are digital media channels ruled by left-brain rules, ruled by data, um, who are pouring money because they have unlimited supplies of it into convincing left-brain clients that they have left-brain solutions for their left-brain needs.
1: Mm. Mm. That's Well, I totally agree with that. And whilst all the while, by the way, increasing their TV spend. Um, which I think is very interesting. You know, it's uh, look look at not what they say, but what they do. Um, so that that is that that is is, is fascinating to me. It's, it's. I think you're right. You know, there is a there is a sort of engineering mindset. I, I sort of playfully uh, suggest this on the front cover that advertising's become a science rather than a da- rather than a dazzling art form. Mm-hmm. Science, you know often uh, is about reductionism breaking things down to smaller parts create you know linear cause and effect and and we've become very analytical as, a, as an industry and in these periods of left brain dominance as I try to explain in the book ideas about the thing become more important than the thing itself I mean, when, when was the last time you really went to a conference and, on advertising and heard anyone talking about the work and how it, how it moves people you know um, Rory Sutherland has got a great uh, Quote, you know, which is you know, it's like turn, turning up an advertising conference is like going to a poetry competition. Uh, going to a poetry conference and uh, and and turning up and uh, and hearing about bookbinding—that's sort of sort of what it's it's become like. So you know, Lemon was was very much uh, an attempt to to focus things back on the work itself, on the creative and what what moves people. Yep, connects with them.
0: Yeah, and, and I. You know, I think I think we're all I think everyone's sort of, and I think everyone's sort of struggling with right. Well, you know, twenty uh, years into the digital revolution, we have not really seen the innovation, experiential innovation in, in advertising, uh, mm-hmm. from a digital perspective. The R and D, you know, it's they've basically gone from. I mean, basically, you've got search, which is revolutionary, because yes. because intent is plugged into search. It's probably the most you know the yes. most powerful yes. single reason why, a, why Google. It's a very was,
1: clever yellow yeah. pages. Um, yes, it's and extremely it's, it's you multiply, know it is it's revolutionary. It's yeah,
0: absolutely revolutionary. Um, and I, I mean so much so much has changed in culture and brands are about how we shop and why we buy and how we shop is changing so rapidly um, and why we buy in terms of the the motivators you know the value yeah. you are you are what you buy sort of a yeah it was a the hidden persuaders,
1: <laughs>
0: you know, all that sort of stuff. The madman era, of, uh, yes. of you know, deep investigations into while while why, why, why exactly. a certain brand of soap gave women satisfaction and power. Mm. Mm. Um, Austrian psychologists, uh, Freud, <laughs> and you know, all kinds of things were very, you know, that, that was very apparent. And now it seems there's a savvier consumer who's... This is very apparent by an article, and I can send it to you, written in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago, which said, the US trademark office has been deluged with requests for approval of brand names in a way that it never has before. And what's happening is these these, uh, Chinese companies are looking for names to attach to products and product categories that are appearing, either they're super commoditized, so it's a pair of winter gloves for seven ninety five, and if they're a pair of winter gloves for 7 you don't really care what the brand is. But it needs a name, because you've got to sell it on Amazon. So you've got to apply and get a name registered. Yes. Um, and increasingly, these names look like sort of some AI just sort of randomly took some letters and threw them Shit. together. Um, so you've got, you know, you've sort of got a world, you know, where, where things are changing so much that the num the, the discipline around brand, brand building, people believing they have a brand um, is, is seems really challenged. And even when you look at, um, you know, someone in, in the, in, you know, a new direct-to-consumer brand, like Casper, uh, uh-huh. who, who rose above the fray and, um, you know, uh, said, well, we, we you know, we, we want to be a brand in a, in a space that's full of rip-off mattress companies. And we want to do things differently. Yes. And, and then, you know, they woke up four or five years later or whatever it was, and there are 175 other companies trying to do exactly the same.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Well, I think you, I think you're right. I mean, you, you, you kind of, you end up, I mean, things are buying, shopping, you know, uh, everything has become increasingly linear and, tr- and very transactional, hasn't it? And slightly commoditized as a result. It's very easy to search for things, to look for things, to check prices, you know, to think about things in a very focused and, and linear way. Um, uh, but That's not to say that brand advertising doesn't still work.
0: No, um, no, I mean, that's absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's very, very interesting. I think, you know, I think it's worthy looking at, the you know, what Procter & Gamble, what Unilever are up to, Um, or General Mills. I mean, they've all recently presented at a big analyst conference in New York. And, you know, there is talk about superiority in advertising.
1: Mm. Backing, I mean, it's all the more required, actually, backing, if, if, there yeah. is, if, you know, if everything is commoditized and everything sort of starts to look the same, you know, there's every, there's all more reason for, for brand work, yeah. you know, that does give it's a sense of hot, you know, distinctiveness. And,
0: um, but you have to be really, cl- you have to be really clever because your margins are being eroded. Yeah. Um, and you know the craft Heinz sort of has become a, a sort of a poster child for how badly things can go wrong yes when, when you sort of forget about the thing called innovation forget about investment um yeah. and believe this thing can sort of run itself and then it sort of sort of grind it, it grinds to a halt
1: yes um,
0: yes but you there is a sort of a new there has to be a sort of a new worldview around brands and what it takes to build a brand today. And it's not the same as it used to be.
1: Well, I, th- I, think you, I think you are starting to see that, though, because yeah. uh, I'm certainly talking to Peter and Les, they feel that there is a, there's a change happening, you know, that people, there have been lots of high-profile cases, you mentioned one, but there have been many others where um, brands have I- mm-hmm. ignored um, and haven't invested in uh, brand-building advertising, and, you know, the results are catastrophic. And so, you know, these are becoming more and more prevalent and and obvious. But also, you know, you've got, I mean, I'm uh, very uh, pleased to see that Cannes this year, one of their big themes is back to brand and, and, you know, brand advertising, putting that back on the uh, agenda. Um, Because I think it's, I mean, it just feels like there is something in the air and, um I think lemon has has also struck a chord with people. And they realise that there's not just something missing from advertising, but there's something missing from life and culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about the, the the decline of the sitcom, the decline of the sketch show, the mm. decline of the romantic comedy. These things that you know celebrate betweenness and connection mm. and people and characters mm. all disappeared because they cost money to make. Partly, that's mm. part of the reason. But but they are, you know, it's as if as I. Uh, often say we've lost three or even four of our five taste buds over the last 15-20 years as culture has become more and more manufactured you know we've scaled things through digital um, globalization as sort of centralizing standardizing tendencies leaving people feeling you know as if something's missing and they can't quite articulate it they can't. They can't understand why television uh, is the way that it is. You know mm-hmm. why programs have changed in their in their in, in, in what they you know what they show. And you can't understand why comedy uh, is changing. You know when was the last time you saw a ventriloquist on television? Uh, a long time ago. Um, you know times of comedy have changed. You know it's it's uh, you know it, it's. Um, it, things that things have things have definitely changed and people are unable to articulate and that that's what's so brilliant to me about the Gilchrist work is that it kind of isolates and shows you through a study of the brain you know what is what is happening uh, all around us you know and by the way this this the features of today's world are, are very like the reformation mm-hmm. um, so i talk about in the book i talk about lots of pi- his periods in 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 uh, history, but the, the Reformation you know had at its heart this side of idea that we needed to get strip things back to the authentic that we had to remove um, metaphor remove ornament remove characters in the saints you know there were literally these effigies were taken out into the streets and they cut their heads and hands off the left brain likes to abstract things um you know and I, i can't really see the body as a whole it sort of sees it in little bits you know lips hands, eyes, whatever it is, and you see that in advertising at all the time, by the way at the moment um, you rarely see a whole person in advertising it's just little bits of people so, you know, this, this focus on the word in uh, the Reformation um, you know, if you look at images from the period uh, it's as if the, 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 the images themselves only really exist to uh, support what the words are telling you to think or do Um, because the words are often superimposed on the top and again just like advertising today you know um, this 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 i suppose um need to tell people this unilateral communication you will think and do this um there's no there's no subtlety there's no metaphor Mm -hmm. there's no uh you know there's, there's very little humor and um you see it also in greater abstraction in advertising today so bits of things that sort of random bits of things a focus on things rather than people if people are shown they're more like props than you know actually interacting with each other um, you know you see uh, a dislocation from time and place you don't see scenes unfolding anymore you tend to see you know lots of individual scenes thrown together which can be easily cut and Rearranged and put into different platforms, you know, it, it, it's as if the the work itself is secondary to the platforms and the and the pipes that it's it's forced through, mm. um, and that's why it's not connecting anymore.
0: Do you do you feel there's, there's sort of another thing? Where, where I've been in the US for over twenty years, and, and the Gulf. I keep using that word. I'm going to get fined if I can use it again. <laughs> Um, between U.S. advertising and British advertising, when I first came here, w- was, was, was considerable. Uh, and it seems that that is no longer the case. I, I, when I go back to the U.K., I, I see advertising um, breaks that look much more similar to the U.S.,
1: Yes. Uh. Well, it's probably the same ads in some cases. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I think, um, I, I think well, uh, that's true, but I think it's also a cultural thing. It is. It is. I mean, it is.
0: The, the, the European, yeah, um, the sort of European way of life is kind of under threat. And I, and I mean, sort of the continental way, the continental European way of life with a focus, which is more on what you do outside of work than the work itself um is changing and and that's always been part of american culture it always is a work based culture advertising in the main has been quite left brain lots of voiceover lots of selling uh-huh. not a lot of uh revealing shorter time you know more 30 seconds and six um and i and i think that, i think that's being yeah. transferred it's it's a global a impact of globalization a, a way I think, in which i think that's right we yeah. see we see the world uh without safety nets um where we have to make decisions quickly where we have to decide what to buy give us the information tell us what you're about i've got no time to sit around and wait 57 seconds for you to tell me what the brand is um and so I, I, did, I, I But the
1: irony is, the more we go that way, the the less likely people would be to watch the ads at all. Yeah. You know, and it, they switch off. They, so the what, ads so, bounce off.
0: So um, has there been a different reaction uh, this side of the Atlantic versus the other side of the Atlantic to the book? I mean, it's hard, for you, to judge. But.
1: i i I, look i've been hugely um i mean i've been amazed actually by the positive reception to the book everywhere um it's it's been well received as far as i can tell in the states um it's been very well received in canada uh it's been australia um, i'm getting requests to come and talk in all, all parts of the world um europe and beyond uh in fact, I am going to some of those other places um, this year. So, mm-hmm. you know, it feels like it's it's really uh, struck a chord and it's sort of explaining something that people, you know, once you've seen it, as I keep saying, you can't unsee it. You know, it's all around us. Yeah. Um, and, so who,
0: who who is it? Is it, is it agencies saying, yes, this is so true,
1: uh, it's not just agents. Well, yeah. it, first of all, it's first of all, it's not just planners. Yeah, it's creatives. Yeah. So it, it's crossed the line into yeah. uh, the creators'
0: mm-hmm.
1: world, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, which, which, you know, I think, I think Peter himself, you know, I hope he doesn't mind me saying, will say that, you know, whilst uh, you know, my my work is 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 of interest to planners, it never really crossed over into the creatives' world, whereas you know, yours has, Orlando. He very kindly said. Yeah. And I, that's true, you know. I have had lots of uh, positive feedback from creatives about it. So it's both creatives and planners, but it's also uh, clients because clients, uh, you know, are also of course fascinated by this and, and the implications for effectiveness. But the, it's not just them either. It's it's broadcasters um, mm-hmm. who are interested in it, fascinated by it, and yeah. media owners yeah. uh, wanting me to talk about it. Because of course, with uh, all of today's pressures on, on them, um, they're looking to understand you know how they can improve, improve effectiveness of advertising because their revenues depend on it. And you know, no one wants the people, the clients, to be switching their money away from them um, because they feel that the medium is not effective. When in actual fact, it's probably the advertising itself that's not working very well. So you know, there are there are all sorts of. Um, I mean, all all parties really are are interested in this, um, as well as you know, sort of. Trade organisations who've asked me to come and talk um, and, and to explain to their members, you know what what I think is happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, it's so, remarkable. so, um, you know, you've caught, yeah. I mean, I think you've caught the wave of. Um, I mean, actually, it was it was interesting. I don't know if I mentioned this last time we spoke, but I was talking to a major, major technology company, and um, they asked me. I was doing a sort of thought piece to their leadership and it was actually Mm. it was actually called the title was actually is creativity mia (laughs) and and, um used a lot of sir peter's work explained the principles behind it and what the data showed and revealed and um they asked me at the end he said what do you think of our work (laughs) i "I haven't seen (laughs) any for about 10 years Mm. Uh, Mm. and uh, you know they said what, what what do you mean i said well i'm obviously not the audience but what's very interesting was 10 years ago I was and I would see and you had a lot of visibility and I think you had a You know, it goes back to the buyer and shop, you know, you sort of got to be out there um, You know, for brands to be successful, there's a, there's a, there's a requirement for, for mental availability Yes, yes um, And if you're invisible because you're narrowcasting yourself to your niche audiences, which is what Facebook allows you to do fabulously well Um, then you're not going to be um, necessarily on the cultural radar.
1: Um, no, and I think that's so important. You know, I mean, yeah. Peter and Les talk about that—the relationship between reach and long-term effects. You know, because you might be advertising to people who don't know they're in the market for you yet. They might not be for another few years, yeah. but but you're registering the brand with them in some way. So they like to pick it up. You know, or think about it in a future future decision. Um, and and the relationship between narrow targeting and very short-term effects, because you're only. Interested in people who might be in, in in the market for your product in the in the very near future, and you know the other thing about reach and and'm thinking mostly of television here but um, is is that it all kind of happens at the same time you know, everyone's seeing this thing at the same time um, uh, and they're seeing the same thing largely at the same time so this, so, so the brand there are no different sort of different interpretations of the brand. Really, you know, in cer- certainly in terms of what people are seeing, um, you know. Whereas, who knows what what a brand really is if you're serving up different versions of the same spots different target audiences, you know. And 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 that and advertising, I think, because of that reach, uh, you know, is is and should be and can be a kind of cultural glue for people. Certainly, characters and 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 sayings and slogans and jingles, you know, uh, all these things very effective, of course, uh, and have disappeared. But, but these things creep into the sort of cultural consciousness and, uh, you know, if you don't have that reach and you don't have those things... Uh, Across a large number of people, they're less likely to, I suspect, and um, you know the, the, the sort of loss of these things, you know, it's it's it's, a, it's an, it has implications for culture and for the stability of of, of, the, of society, in my view, because these things are what bring people together and give us a shared sense of consciousness. So, um, so, so,
0: so, so, just for, just for example, just being very practical, um, that a client uses system one to test their ads and they and they bomb i mean they just mm-hmm. they're ones of stars or mm-hmm. whatever. yes yeah um do you do you integrate left brain analysis or is that sort of a separate thing
1: yes we you know we, we fold fold that into our interpretation then, uh,
0: so so it's all it's all integrated so this whole thing is integrated and then what's What's the react? It's, it's almost like a, my my question is what's, what's this... So it's very intriguing. It's very interesting to look at the analysis and to reach the conclusions that you've reached. And I think the question then becomes what do we do about it? And so in the most pragmatic sense, someone who's putting their spots um, through system one and is learning... That these aren't going to generate the type of response they thought they might, or uh, yeah. whatever. Um, and then there becomes a question of, well, it's a, it, what do we do next? So, You know, because if this isn't going to work, we need to do something that works. So it need the I guess um, you have the, the you have sort of have the coder for. What people need to do to get from left brain to right brain.
1: Yes, yes, we do. I mean, of course, we get things. Um, I mean, we, we do. We do early stage testing, so yeah, of sure. course, when you're when you're early on in the yeah. um, development cycle, which is very helpful because it, it helps you to give you feedback from the general public early on, and to yeah. you know. Not to get too far down the line before it's too late. No, I've done, um, done my fair share of those,
0: and and yeah. and, and um, you know, I, I think it's you know that it's part of a part of a transformation process for people to because if you're all, if you are left brain and you over and you you sort of have competing metrics. Um, you've got a bunch of things that you're trying to do and you have metrics to support them and then you go and use system one because one of the reasons you like system one is that it does have metrics, right? So you've got benchmarks, you've got scores, um, you've got comparative um, evaluative tools. Um, So you can get all left brain. (laughs)
1: if you want to. Well, you can. I mean, you know, it's a left brain heaven in, in many ways um, because, you know, we measure every ad that airs in the UK and the US as yep. it comes on television and, and you, we know, you know, roughly what we give, we provide, you know, uh, data for how much is being spent on those ads and are you spending appropriately against the sort of five-star work or, or, or inappropriately against the one-star stuff.
0: So, I mean, either, either, either you, either clients... Aren't not enough clients? I mean, this is just a general theory. Not enough clients using system one to realize the crisis that is going on. Um, Or, many clients don't actually care uh, at all about the attentive effectiveness of their work. Mm. Um, They believe. That media alone being present alone, there's a what's what's Peter Field called it like the creative optimizer effect. Uh-huh. So, Peter's big finding was the most uh awarded work a decade ago was achieving a 12x, yeah, return on, and now it's a point six. Yes, yeah, so they don't get that they don't get the multiple they don't they don't or they don't value the multiple
1: yeah i know and i mean mark ritson puts creative behind uh, second only to brand size in in terms of its importance in it, in your marketing you know kind of armory if you like um i mean it is is so important and and is is being neglected but of course i mean we 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 you know uh, obviously a lot happens in in advertising development before we see any of the work um and in the book i try to describe you know some of the pitfalls uh in in Briefing stages, and of course the magic that can happen between you know the early sort of idea and the script and the final film. You know, often spontaneity uh, things that are squeezed out of the process these days. You know, but spontaneity accidents um, can often make for incredibly memorable advertising. You know, because they're sort of left by the sort of right brain flow and spontaneity, which which just make something feel. Incredible, um, lots of examples in the book of that. But, but you know, there, there are lots of stages at which this this can this can go wrong. Um, time pressures on on creatives, um, you know, the, the breaking up of, of, uh, of the task into little bits and, and allocating a person and, you know, sort of revenue or, or cost against that. You know, this is a very left brain way of approaching things. Um, you know, digital sprints, you know, is not, not a way to create brand building work. Lots of practices today that have led to, um, led to the type of work that we're seeing. And in fact, a lot of the work that we're seeing bears an uncanny resemblance to mood videos that are that tend to be, you know, mood films that yep. are presented to a client yep. early in development, and yep. then you know the client will often say, "Oh, well, that's good enough. Let's go with that."
0: That's going to make that yeah really powerful yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I've heard that. I've heard that a number of over the years, a number of times. But I then think I think saying. then I think what it what it forces us to do is to celebrate the brands that are doing a great job. And I call out Snickers.
1: Yes, superb.
0: You know, single-minded, disciplined, um, a a, a great idea, a great insight tied to the product in in a watertight way. And no one's got bored of executing it.
1: No, no. In fact, as I understand it, is queuing up to be on that account, yeah. and uh, you know, it is what I call a fluent device. You know, a scenario, fluent device that is is repeatable over mm-hmm. time, but is changed in inventive and interesting ways. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a fantastic thing.
0: Yeah, I think we need more more examples of, of exactly uh, of, of brands I agree. That get behind this idea over the long an idea over the long term.
1: And uh, one of the things that we're you know we we just. Um, uh, announced a partnership with ITV um, uh, to for the for the Euro twenty twenty football competition, mm-hmm. um, and advertisers can uh, submit you know their advertising for this competition, and you know the ads that that, that score highest and you know on our star rating, uh, the ad that scores best you know is eligible for. A free slot in the final, so I think it's encouraging. Really, sort really, of, really interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's encouraging, um, encouraging you know work that connects with people again, you know, yeah. c- connects with audiences, yeah. um, and and work that that essentially entertains because it's sort of entertaining work.
0: Well, I mean, it's very enlightening. Uh, it's very enlightening for a broadcaster to, uh, and and I guess the competitive pressures that they're under um, force that chef. Um, but it's still, it's somewhat enlightening for a Oh, it's terrific
1: yeah. you know, we're, we're both we and they are very excited about it um, and we love we want people to take part you know it'd be a wonderful way of demonstrating the kind of work that connects with audiences again and uh, an opportunity for fame for marketeers and their agencies and of course fantastic for the CFO as well so um, um, you know all positive uh, positive steps as
0: it were I, I, do, I do sort of wonder, and it was something I put in my questions over to you, that, that um, marquee tune-in events, um, be they the Euros, the Oscars, the Super Bowl, uh. um, should be sort of, or, or maybe different. Uh, they, 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 they are not the run-of-the-mill commercial break. They are usually sponsored, integrated packages um w- with the broadcast the what the person who, the, the company holds the broadcast rights. And um usually the, the caliber of advertising uh is, is higher. Um uh-huh. Uh-huh. and uh I just wondered if that was something there that, that the sort of a bifurcation of general run of the mill stuff that people are just putting out there and then there's the marquee. This is sort of yes, marquee world well, I, where you're going I, to see. I know what you.
1: I know what you mean. Thing. And and you, you know you you are right. You know there are certain events. You know this, you were talking about how you felt. U.S. advertising was was in, sometimes rather left brain, the exception being the Super Bowl, of course, yeah. um, where where you get you get some remarkable work and it, a lot of it has many of those right brain features: pastiche, parody, living, mm-hmm. the living dialogue, you know, uh, scene unfolding. Uh, in the UK, you have Christmas, of course, mm-hmm. where you see again all of these right brain features: sense of time, place, scene unfolding, characters, monsters dreams, you know, all these things are sort of right brain things. Um, it's a shame that, uh, you know, Christmas is only comes once a year, because actually that's the sort of work that should be being done throughout mm-hmm. the year. Um, you know, why, why limit it? I mean, we, I know why people limit it, because it's very expensive to do. Um, and uh, you know, it's seen as a sort of marquee event, but actually that's the sort of work that should be happening throughout the year. Uh, and and uh, and you know, brands would see the effects of it if they did.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, any uh, any plans to visit the, U- the US or be talking? In any well, I am event?
1: coming over to the South by Southwest uh, to speak. Um, uh, the invitation of the ARF in uh, in in March of this okay. year, so March the seventeenth. So I will be coming over. You'll, and, you'll um, be in Austin. If in Austin, and so if anyone uh, listening is there, then do come and say hello. It'd be lovely sounds to great.
0: lovely to that meet sounds you. Sounds great. Well, um, I really, I think we covered so much ground. It was really fascinating. Probably could have done another hour um, or at least. Um, Thanks, Ed. No, it has been fantastic. Yeah, really good conversation. Really interesting to hear. You know the the work that went into this and your perspective on, on where we might be heading and some of the challenges. Um, great conversation, and I really uh, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ed.
1: Appreciate okay. it. All the best. Okay.
0: Your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.